We've been told to live like Jesus, but have we learned to truly do that? The Bible is full of nuance and truth that can be lost in translation if read without context. And we want to help you navigate it. This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. And I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. Today, we're going to continue the study of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. But before we get there, what's up, guys? How you doing? Not much. I'm doing well. We both paused and waited for the other one. Yeah, and then right. we both went. You know, I I have a thought though, and I don't know why this occurred to me, but you begin the episodes by saying, We've been told to live like Jesus. Who's telling us this, by the way? <laughs> yeah. I want people to ask that question. I mean, I nice. figured someone would say oh, that. that um, nice. Well, I've been told at a time or two. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put out names. Okay. But I feel like I have been told that, uh, at least in our movement, you know, like it, there's a heavy focus on living like Jesus or even, you know, in the times when there's the WWJD, what would oh, J- yeah. Jesus do? Um, so I think there's just, you know, everyone's like, oh, live like him. But then I'm like, yeah, how do you do that? And okay. you know, we, we have a heavy um, or we put a heavy emphasis on doing that within our movement, which I'm really happy about. Um, but I still think that there could be more to be done to how to truly do it. And I think that's why we focus on that here. Okay. I thought maybe you were getting harassed the way that Jason (laughs) does to me. Yeah. Live like Jesus. These random texts throughout the day. (laughs) Live like Jesus. You're failing. (laughs) Luckily, that's not happening in my circle. Do you, who's in your circle? Do you have a, a circle? <laughs> Michael doesn't trust anything you say. Uh, <laughs> I know. Why? This is, this is story <laughs> time, more. not question Gianna time. I know I just, there's other things that happened this week. Okay. I just wanted to know if Jason and I were in the circle of trust. That's I all. I actually do view you guys. Not to say that it's a privilege, but I'm like, I'm just not that personable, I think, sometimes. I feel like some people think I'm more extroverted than I am. I know what you mean. But I think so, you are personable. I mean, uh, or else you're really good at faking it. Of of this group, Gianna, of the three of us, you're definitely the extrovert. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I do agree with that. No, I, I do like people, but I do have some times where I'm like, oh, I need a break. And I feel like mm-hmm, that's a lot mm-hmm, of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like that's being normal. It's just like, can some people have a hard time saying that to other people? I feel like they're going to look bad. I'm like, no, I like my time. You don't okay. like your time? I give oh. though. Oh, I, I like my time. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. As, I hate as, my time. <laughs> you I hate your time alone? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just was trying to be the righteous one. Yeah. I, this is a special episode, I think. It is. It is. It is officially our hundredth episode. <laughs> I was going to do that. Dang that it. was a great was sound effect. <laughs> Yours was better. Yeah. Remember when we used to have sound effects, and then you guys don't let me do it anymore for the sound, for the news of the squatch. I remember that. Yeah, those were. I good. liked them. I just those, those didn't were like good that old days. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have. We if you include bonus episodes, we've done more than a hundred episodes. But our official episodes, this is the hundredth, which is uh, pretty amazing. I didn't know that we'd ever get this far. So um, here we are. So let's shoot for a couple hundred more, eh? Yeah, I mean, you no. started this from the beginning, Michael. How are you feeling knowing that? It's a hundred. Did you foresee this to be this way? Did you want it to go this long? Um, I was just hoping that people would listen to it to get three or four episodes in. Um, now, I, honestly, I didn't even know when when I started. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this for me. Um, a few people have asked me. I'm going to do it for fun. See where it goes. Um, I, if you'd have asked me back then that we'd have like you know, listeners in a hundred countries and, you know, like people all over the world. And like, no, I would not have anticipated that. I don't, I don't think I thought it would go for a hundred episodes. I mean, that's two years, you know, uh, over two years. So, 
um no it's been fun and you know we keep getting like really encouraging feedback so we'll just keep doing it yeah you decided to level up and add jason and then me and that's where we really hit our stride (laughs) yeah i don't know mine was probably put us in a bit of a deficit and then they added you and then and then it got a little better yeah no truly this is an awesome podcast and we're all grateful to be a part of it and keep it going and and to do that today, like I said, we're going to be in Mark 3, verses 20 through 35. And Jason, he's going to be our stellar reader for the Okay. Passage. Yes. All right. I'm excited for this. Um, all right. Uh, revised standard version. Is that cool? Um, all right. Well, and do we have a choice at this you point? You do. What, what would you like? Um, no, read it. You go ahead and read the revised standard. I've got NIV. Um, so we'll, you know, all things to all people <laughs> so, here. So you'll read the, the original text in the NIV and I'll read the God story. anointed text. Yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. Well, like, that depends on which, what, what year. That, you know, that we should have a conversation. We should have a conversation about translations at we some point. Should. Oh, let's do it. I'm in. All right. Okay. For now, here's the revised standard version and our text begins in 320, but I notice paragraph breaks in the middle of 19. So Mark 319 B. <laughs> then he went home and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For people were saying, he is beside himself. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself, and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty Of an eternal sin. For they had said he has an unclean spirit. We're going to 35, right? Correct. Okay. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking around at those who sat about him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Okay. So there's a lot there in this passage, obviously. And, And our first step, as always, is anybody? Put your reading glasses on, yes. folks. There you go. Reading glasses on. And, you know, it's really, especially with a passage this long, with 16 verses, it's impossible for us in this mm. format to go through everything you could pull out and observe from reading. And so there's a couple things I want to highlight in this passage that I think will help us as we continue to read Mark and see some of the things going on in, in Mark. So certainly we're not going to pull out everything from this passage, but just a couple of things. One is to look for, as you're reading, for authorial patterns, like patterns that the author uh, is known for or seems to follow intentionally. And one of those, Jason, I know you've heard this term. Gianna, I don't know if you've heard this term. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But it's called a Markin sandwich. Have you ever heard that term? No. Th- that's okay. <laughs> um, it's actually one of the things that, that Mark is known for. Um, 
Jason, without any prep, spur of the moment here, can I ask you to explain a Markin sandwich? You don't have to give examples, just in general. <laughs> what is what is a Markin yeah. sandwich? Uh, pastrami. Uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. Provolone. No. Um, yeah, so we learned. Provolone, uh, I, crucial on a good sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I learned this term uh, in intercalation is the one uh, 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 when I was uh, taught this, but but it's um, it's like a, a, an interpretive story put between um, another or put in the middle of uh, another story, and uh, it, it, if if that's what you're driving at here, and I think that's yes. what you mean, yeah. But it, but it it unlocks the meaning of what comes before and after. Uh, a beautiful example uh, is like the fig tree stories at, after the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus uh, bring, uh, speaks a word of judgment in the temple, walks out, judges a fig tree, um, and then comes back to the temple. Or in some accounts, it's he curses the fig tree, goes, speaks a word of judgment in the temple, then comes back out and the fig tree is cursed. Um, but the fig tree and the temple story work together. They mirror one another uh, and they interpret one another. So it's um, it's something you notice probably, but don't have language for. Um, I think I think this is how I de- best way to describe it. I don't know. Is there other is there yeah, other no, vocabulary I, that could help more? Well, I, th- I think that's that's great. It's it, it is simply put an A B A pattern. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and a story mm-hmm. where it starts with uh, a topic, moves to another seemingly unrelated story. Right. Uh, and then finishes back with the first story. But Mark wants us to see somehow that there is a connection of theme mm-hmm. or thought. And, and that's the reason he's crafted these in this way. So in this passage, you'll notice it starts out with the mention of Jesus' family saying he's out of his mind. And then it goes into this whole other incident where the teachers of the law come and they say Jesus is demon-possessed, and there's this sort of interaction between Jesus and some of the Jewish leaders of the area. And then it goes back in uh, verse 31 back to his family. So you have family you have the teachers accusing him of being demon-possessed and back to his family, seemingly unrelated stories, but there is a connection that Mark wants us to make there where they reveal something. Each each element of the story reveals something about the other part, right? So especially in Mark, Mark likes to do this. It's a favorite pattern of his be on the lookout for Mark and sandwiches. I used to do this with classes in biblical interpretation where I would have them split into partners and say, you know, you have an hour, go through and find as many Mark and sandwiches as you can. And they would have great fun kind of going on that, uh, that chase uh, to find Mark and sandwiches. So that's one thing. Uh, Another pattern to look for when our reading glasses are on is clue words, like some specific words uh, that Mark has used and and the way that they're maybe used in other places in Mark or that they're key to the theme of the book or something like that. So I, I like, Jason, in the Revised Standard Version, uh, I believe you said in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to seize him, right? Yeah, right. Yep, yep. That that was an where, interesting decision. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, where in the NIV, it is to take charge. But if you uh, go and, and for this kind of thing, you would need like a, an, uh, a concordance or uh, I like the online tool, Blue Letter Bible. You can mm-hmm. go to this passage. You can pick out the word you want, and it'll tell you all the other places in the New Testament, for example, that that word is used. So that's that's a website. It's called blueletterbible.org. And what that shows us is that this term that's translated seize or take charge is is not a good term in Mark. It's not something that's positive. It's it's something that opponents of Jesus keep trying to do to him. 
And so there's there's no mistake what Mark wants us to see here. His family has become an obstacle to his messiahship. They are missing the point, just like the teachers of the law are missing the point and are becoming an obstacle to his specific kingdom announcement and messiahship. The other thing, uh, another pattern of words there that I think is interesting is if we go down to um, uh, 31, um, where is Jesus' family located, according to verse 31? Outside. They're standing outside, which means Jesus is where? Inside. Now, if you remember last the last couple episodes, we've talked about one of the themes of Mark is what? I know that's a really broad question because we've talked about a lot of themes, but... Insiders uh, and outsiders. There you go. Insiders and outsiders, right? And so is it a mistake that Mark kind of throws in that little extra detail that it's not just, oh, they arrived, because uh, he could have left it at that, and they sent someone to call him. But he says specifically they're standing outside. And we'll see this theme of outside and inside stressed more and more in Mark. But it, it's little clues like that that the the text gives us that helps us kind of see uh, what is going on, uh, the importance of some of the themes, why some of these uh, particular accounts were chosen, what they what they emphasize or what they teach, uh, according to Mark or the author. Jason, anything to add on that before we move to our next step? Uh, n- no, but but I, I do I do like that. Um that uh i guess call to to read carefully to pay attention to the language um and and what you're saying um uh, makes me think that it's worth mentioning here if you are able in your your studying mark to to use maybe more than one translation in english yes. or, or whatever yep. language you speak um or read but i think uh, you'll notice that different translations of the Bible will make decisions uh, based on how they want the the passage to read, and I I always uh, recommend that if someone's really interested in noticing repetition of words, uh, there is an English translation of the Bible that will preserve that, um, like uh, the the New American Standard Bible. Uh, the updated New American Standard Bible is a good one to have open while you're reading um, whatever, the ESV or the NIV or whatever other translation you have. Because some translations will hide word repetitions because the English language, uh, you know, we don't like repetition. We want change yes. and diversity and uh, keep us interested. We'll get bored if we hear the same word over and over. But for uh, many parts of the Bible, the repetition is how you make sense of the story. So, yeah, that's a really good point because in modern writing, uh, I, I know this from writing books. If you if you use a word, you know you can't use the same word like two yeah, times. Yeah, editors in a row. will slap that, you on the hand. The totally. editor will get on you. Like you got to use different words. You got to use different terms for the same idea. Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right. The the biblical authors often do use the same rely word over it. and over again. Totally. Yeah. Yep. And it and it does help us to see. And that's actually going to become key in the next chapter. There's a couple places where the text is smoothed out in English. And because of that, we kind of miss it hides what it, it yep. hides what Mark was sort of yeah. uh, yep. trying to emphasize and bring out. Yeah. Yeah. And no, and last thing I'll say is that's not to put a check against a translation that will you know, diversify its vocabulary um, uh, because they're making decisions. And with every decision a translation makes, it it compromises something. So I'm sure yeah. there's a benefit somewhere. Uh, but but based on what you just said, Michael, for, for those who want to uh, look more carefully at literary structure and how Mark uses language, it helps just crack open a second Bible in a different translation. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I saw this uh, – live or experienced it live 
just recently I had a um, teaching trip in Brazil, which was great, by the way. My wife and I went down there and spent uh, a week and a half in Brazil. But there were times where we would be in an event and someone would be speaking Portuguese and she would have an interpreter and I would have an interpreter and they would each be telling us what the speaker (laughs) was saying. And I could hear both of them. And I would kind of go you know, back and forth and be like, Oh wait, they're, they're different. They're kind of saying the same thing, but they're wording it differently. And there were even times where I'd be like, well, I I like it better the way she just said it, or I like it better the way he said it, but you know, there's no perfect translation. That's the point. It's a, it's a, it's an art. It's a science, but it's an art. Like, right. If we, we should at some point just talk about translation theory and stuff. It's so interesting. Yeah, but, we got to We got to But I love what you said there. Uh, anyways, that was a great point. Great tool for anyone listening. So, yes. Gee, anything on that before we moved our next step? No, I think I, I learned a lot. I think um, it reminded me as a journalist to do what I like to do, which is pay attention to literary style and like wording yeah, and structure. Right. Um, and I probably hadn't in this section at least, or even Mm. maybe in Mark at all. I haven't spent that much time in Mark. So um, now I'm like even more intrigued. I'm like, Oh yes, this is a, this is the type of stuff I like to find when I'm reading. So um, good to look out for. All right. So let's go on to the second step of uh, our hermeneutic of expectancy uh, time machine. So let's hop in our time. I wish we could have Huey Lewis in the news. Come on for just a moment when we say that, don't you? Um, yes. Or Chuck Berry, you know, something like from from the movie. You know, there is a time that uh, not a time machine. There is a podcast that I listen to that uh, does that. They use like well known music clips, and they get away with and, it. Well, they have so far. Okay, and, well then we can too. <laughs> no, because. I've kind of wanted to contact him and be like, you know, that's like super illegal and you can get sued and have to take down all your old episodes. Yeah, and if you're making money, you got to pay it back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when I started the podcast, I looked into that because there was a particular beat from a rap song that I loved. I didn't like the lyrics. I just wanted the beat um, uh, from this rapper named Tiger. And... uh, (laughs) And I like to do it. It's like thousands of yeah, dollars. Like you have to contact him, pay yeah, thousands yeah. of dollars to get even just a little clip. And I was like, never mind. Well, uh, we can we can do like a Muzak version of "That's the Power of Love." Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That would totally suck. Could okay. we just have Gianna sing it? That'll work too. Yeah. I don't think you guys want that. Reggie can rap. I can get Reg on the beat. You <laughs> can rap the power of love. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, let's get Reggie on that. I'd like to hear that, actually. He remixes a ton of things. That's why I think that would be cool. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll, 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 we'll look forward to that in a few weeks. <laughs> Too so, late. All right. He's on the hook. Yeah. So let's go in our time machine and look at some of the background information to this passage. And there's a couple things here that I think are worth highlighting. One is there's this common theme that pops up over and over again through the New Testament. Uh, It was present in the Old Testament as well, but it really comes to the forefront in the New Testament. And that is, who are the people of God and how do you know? Mm -hmm. And especially when you have Jewish people following the faith of Moses, following the the law of Moses and so on, and identifying um, solely with Abraham, not that followers of Jesus didn't, but they now had a, a different way and they were they had a different center. And so you have kind of competing claims as to who are the people of God and how do you know? And so you see that question coming up in the Old Testament. God brings it up sometimes in the Old Testament. Uh, I think of a passage like Hosea 1.9, where he says, I'm going to call you not my people because of your unfaithfulness. Uh, You have Ezekiel 33 as another great example. This This is just one of my favorite passages. I'll read this quickly and 
Ezekiel 33, verse 30, it says, As for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. Now, that's what every preacher wants to hear, right? God says, Hey, your people are like, let's go hear him preach. He's awesome. Like, I love hearing him preach. And you get your head gassed up and, you know, all of these sorts of things. But I'll, I'll tell you, one of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me, and I don't know if he would remember this, but when I first started going into ministry, he said, when 50 people come up to you after a sermon and tell you, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. He said, don't get swayed by that. Look at the 200 people walking out, not saying anything to you and and find a balance there. So they're saying, hey, let's come and hear this message. But verse 31, it says, my people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Mm -hmm. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than the one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. And there's an arrow to the heart for any preacher. Like, oh, no. You know how that feels. But again, it's this idea of God saying they're not acting like my people. So just because they have a certain ancestry or they come and hear you preach or whatever it is does not mean that they're my people. And in Matthew 3, John the Baptist challenges the Pharisees and says, hey, don't think just because you're the physical descendants of Abraham that you are God's people. God will raise up stones if he wants to do this. In John 8, Jesus has an argument with the Pharisees there, and he says, hey, just because you're the children of Abraham, you're not acting like the children of Abraham. And what God's people are really centered around is his son." And if you come to the sun, the sun will set you free. Uh, I think, Jason and G, I think even in Matthew 21, you have uh, verse 21, that passage where, um, and Jason, this is right after the fig tree incident where Jesus is kind of pronouncing judgment on Israel. And he says, if you have enough faith, you can tell that mountain to throw itself into the sea. Mm-hmm. And I think there, you know, mountain is an Old Testament symbol for the temple, for the yeah. temple mount, the which whole, he's just judged. So that which would be he has just sad. judged, and he's yeah. saying if you, and sea, of course, is a play a place of destruction. Mm-hmm. So he's telling his people, hey, I know you look at this temple and you like think it's big and insurmountable, but if you have faith, even that will be, you know, thrown into the sea. It will be done away with. And you will be shown as God's people. Uh, Paul refers to this in Romans 11. He deals with the argument of who are God's people and how do you know? And he shows how it's centered around the Messiah. So that's kind of one question here in in Mark. Now, the other one, Jason, did you have something to add to that? You look like you want to add to that. Um, no, I, I think I think you're you're right though, and I, you know. When, when in our next episode about the parables, we're going to see that the, the parables is, is, are a way of highlighting what you're, what you've just said. Like, uh, there, there are those in, in the gospel that listen and respond well, and then there are those that can't even hear. And so yes. I, I, I feel like there's, um, it, it really does. It, and I think Mark's getting that mostly from Isaiah, but but it, it does seem to be the the running. Um, I don't know. It's it, it, it's the way uh, the people of God emerge. Those who listen take to heart. In the words of the parable of the sower, right? Uh, listen. What is it? Listen and obey. Listen and take to heart and produce fruit. So I think. I think that's a hugely important thing and a great warning for podcast listeners because <laughs> there are so many ways to listen to scripture um, and learn theology at this point. And without integrating it, uh, you could find yourself thinking you're on the inside, but uh, firmly standing on the outside because it, it has no bearing. So I, I, I yes. like it. 
and even and and you're exactly right. And so even here, Jesus' own mother, yeah, his family is standing on the outside. Shocking. That's shocking for a person <laughs> like is. me. Yeah. That's shocking, right? And and we got some questions about that. Like, wait, they're but they're seeking to prevent his kingdom mission. And and that's going to become key, as Jason said, like in, in the next parable as well. Who who is in that? If they're basically right, right, in league with right. Satan at this point, that's kind of Mark's point. Like they're they're part of this Satan thing, and he's going to illustrate it with the next parable. This is what can happen. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Mary treasure in her heart? Didn't she know that Jesus was special? And I would say yes, but that doesn't mean she understood what kind of Messiah he was going to be. She had to learn too. Yeah, that reminds me of like when she's talking to him and where he's at and he was preaching. Like, didn't you know where I'd be? And, you know, she's going to be like, what? And he's like, I'd be in my father's house. Like, that's what I think of when I hear it. And I also think in the time machine, it seems so interesting to me that during that time period, family is a big deal. Taking on family members and just, you know, being responsible for them, especially a male. So I find it really interesting that he makes that that dichotomy different here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're gonna let's come back to that in a minute because you bring up a really important theme there. Um that that I think it's important for us to drill down on. But yeah, I, I love this that okay, there's this idea that they even think he's out of his mind. Like this is not how a Messiah should act. Shouldn't a Messiah be putting together an army and getting ready to throw out the Romans and challenge him? What is he doing? They and, and as we follow the themes of Mark, we'll see is they didn't understand the way of the cross either. They, right. they, it seemed crazy to them, yeah. the things he was doing and saying and the way he was doing it. So Mark breaks that off then. Okay, we've got this little introduction to uh, the family. And then he breaks it off and goes into this story on the teachers of the law. And they accuse him. They say he's possessed by, gee, who is he possessed by? You got it. You don't want to ask me. I specifically (laughs) said I'm never saying this name. Oh, that was terrible of me. (sighs) G G does not like to pronounce What did she call it before? It was amazing. I can't remember. It was. I don't even know. Bezable. Bezable. I don't know. I I actually have a speech problem, so... Come on, well, that's guys. a hard one. There's a lot of B's and, and, and Z's. And there's a and lot that. of different ways to say it, too. <laughs> yeah. there, there it's are. not anything I would ever try to say. So Yeah, it doesn't it's, come up much. Like, hey, what, what do you make of Beelzebub? <laughs> 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 yeah, hey, wait a minute. We're still looking for baby names, right? That's what I was just Night thinking, too. <laughs> like, no. No, Boy, that okay. would just be right. a scourge on your family. Your ideas of Genesis, and I don't know. That was the most memorable one that I liked. So we'll just stick with that. If it ends up being a girl, but let, yeah, let's move on. All right, all right, moving, moving on, moving on. Um, so, so what they're trying to do though is they too are seeking to prevent Jesus' kingdom ministry, and um. Now, interestingly, Jesus gives them a chance. He calls them to the side. It says he he called them over and then began to speak to them in parables. So parables demonstrate who's inside and who's outside. If you get and accept and struggle with what he's saying, um, it shows you to be an insider. If you reject or, you know, twist it or whatever, that shows you to be an outsider. And so Jesus does a couple things here. One, he shows that their their claims are they don't understand how power works. Just in the in the general world, he's like, that's not how kingdoms work. Satan is not going to drive out Satan. Like that's that's not how power works. This is crazy. It's absurd. You have a, a kingdom divided against itself. You have a house divided against itself. Um, 
And if Satan opposes himself, he's divided and he can't stand. His end has come. So that's his first refutation of their point. Then he goes into this stuff about the strong man. Now, I, I think, and I'm, I'm going to make a take on this. Some people think that the strong man is Jesus. I think the strong man here is actually Satan. And he's saying, he says, uh, where are we at here? Verse uh, 29, 27. 20, 27. Sorry, I don't, I, it's small font. I couldn't read the verse. Um, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So who's the strong man? He's entered into Satan's house. Jesus, uh, a couple of important things come out with that. One is even Israel has become part of the strong man's house. They're no different than the nations. They are part of the ruler of the kingdom of the air of the present age. But Jesus has already defeated the powers. He's already defeated Satan. He's went toe-to-toe with him. He has he has conquered him in, in many respects uh, through and, and conquered, interestingly, through his weakness in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't conquer him through strength. He conquered him through his weakness, which again shows the way of the cross. It shows how Jesus defeats the powers. Uh, but he is now plundering the strong man's house. He's going to go in and take his stuff. And then the final thing he says, and we'll come back to this at the end, but he says, uh, people can be forgiven of all their sins and slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, and they're guilty of an eternal sin. And I want to come back to that because I know a lot of really good-hearted people read that and they go, oh no, did I commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Have I done that? And I don't know if either of you remember this. Jason, do you remember a few years ago there was this thing that would go around where people who considered themselves atheists or they weren't Christians or whatever, they would go on the internet and record uh, a little video clip saying, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And they would do it intentionally to kind of say, I'm cutting all ties. Like, uh, oh, there's no going back no, uh, for me. <laughs> But simply saying I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I don't think is actually blaspheming <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But it's like uh, when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy, and he's like, yes. and he said, um, "You can't he just say so." Out. Yeah, he's like, "I didn't, I didn't just say I'm bankrupt. I declared it. Right. I declare <laughs> bankruptcy." He yells he's out. Like it yes. doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. 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 So then he returns. Mark returns to his family standing outside calling to him. And now in Mark, in the gospel of Mark, it is Jesus who calls people and he calls them inside. He calls them to be insiders. But here we see Mary and the rest of his family on the outside trying to call to Jesus being an obstacle to his ministry, misunderstanding what the Messiah will do. And so, uh, again, it's even them, even Mary misunderstands. And one of the things Jesus does here is is really shocking. And I think you kind of mentioned that, Gianna, like this is kind of shocking what Jesus does with his family. And, And way more than we tend to understand in our context. Because as you mentioned, family was everything. Uh, and it wasn't just family as a unit, family as, you know, an economic unit, a safety unit. It was all those things, but it was also your identity before God. Israel was a family. It was a collection of families. And what Jesus does here is really shocking because first of all, he doesn't go outside. It says, your mother and brothers are outside waiting for you, looking for you. And Jesus instead asks the question, who are my mother and brothers? This would have been so disrespectful. 
Like he, by cultural standards, he should have stopped what he was doing and gone out to his mother. But Jesus takes the opportunity to completely redefine the family, redefine the people of God. He looks at those seated in a circle, those who are listening and doing God's will and says, this is my family. These are my people. And he'll do this in a few places where he will uh, take the opportunity to redefine how people think about family. I think of um, Luke chapter 11 as an example. I'll just show you one in verse 27. It says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. So here's the idea of sharing honor. If Jesus is doing something great, then his mother shares the honor because they're family, right? And Jesus, instead of saying, yes, I agree, (laughs) you know, she's a great woman. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So once again, redefining family. Uh, and, and this is a huge theme uh, throughout Scripture, actually, is this, right. this redefinition of family. And, it, you know, it's, I mean, we could spend a ton of time on this. We're not going to, but we'll just say that this was a key thing for the, for the New Testament, for the early church, was that Jesus had redefined family. It was no longer your mother, your father. That was not the source of your identity. It was, that's not how you recognize the people of God. It was now the followers of Jesus had become family. And not just in theory, the early Christians lived that way. That was one of the um, criticisms. In fact, let me read here really quickly. You have uh, a, a Roman writer Lucian of Samosata, writing around 165 AD, says their first lawgiver, and he's referring to the Christians, persuaded them that they are all brothers of one another after they have transgressed once and for all by denying the Greek gods and by worshiping that crucified sophist, that's Jesus, that crucified sophist himself and living under his laws, therefore they despise all things indiscriminately and consider them common property, receiving such doctrines traditionally without any definite evidence. So if any charlatan and trickster able to profit by occasions comes among them, he quickly acquires sudden wealth by imposing upon simple folk. He goes, these people really think they're family of one another and they live that way and they share the way that family does. And so if you were smart, you could go in and rip these folks off because they're stupid because they really <laughs> believe they're family. And I'll, I'll read just one more quote and then let you guys respond to this. Justin Martyr, a Christian writer writing at the same time as Lucian of Samosata says, we who valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possessions, now bring what we have into a common stock and share with everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another and on account of our different manners would not live with men of a different tribe, now since the coming of Christ, live familiarly as family with them and pray for our enemies and endeavor to persuade those who hate us unjustly to live comfortably to the good precepts of Christ. And he, he goes on from there. And so Jesus radically redefines family. I'll stop there and say thoughts. Yeah, it looks like I can't tell if Jason's ever going to say something. No, it's I, all I'm blurry looking. It's when I'm on looking. you. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't have any amazing thoughts. I just have thoughts of like, wow, like how shocking it must have been. Because even in my Bible studies, when I first came to Christ, I I was really shocked by how he treated family or his ideas on family. Just this idea that you might have to leave family to follow him, like to me was just really shocking um, because of my definition of what family is. I have a very, very close family. Um, But those quotes you just read, I mean, the second one, 
it really does embody some of what I've experienced here within my church family. And I remember how starkly different it was, um, kind of uncomfortable actually for me for a little bit, but uh, definitely more reflective of, I think, what, you know, what Jesus was trying to show us about family. And I think um, we have a ways to go, but I think I see it. I can see it and I can see what good it does if we do it in that manner. Yeah, let, let me jump on that for a minute, Gianna, because I, I think that's a really important point that we don't want to be unclear about. So you mentioned you're really close to your family, you an Italian family, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of yeah. have that background. So there's that closeness. Um, uh, the, the Your mom's side of the family is Italian. Correct. And so <clears throat> then a few years ago, you met this fella, right? This basketball player. Yes. And he was pretty goofy and, you know, you thought, okay, he's kind of handsome and silly and you guys laugh together and have fun together. So you decide to get married, right? We did. Now you get married. Did you stop being family with your mothers and your mother and your sisters and brothers and uncles and all of that? No, I fear Reggie would be missing if that happened. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I definitely didn't, but the re- relationships had to change. Exactly. Exactly. The priorities change. Your identity, in fact, your your previous last name, Georgie, right? Correct. You, you changed that to Hearn. You changed your identity. You changed your priority. It's not as though you threw out your previous family, mm-hmm. but it did redefine your life. Now, that's not exactly a picture of, you know, Jesus redefining family, but I think it does make the important point in that one area that, yes, it does redefine our identity, our priority, but it doesn't mean we dishonor or throw yes. out our family. Um it's actually scary, you know, groups that would go to that level and say, oh, yeah, you've got to cut off your family or you've yeah. got to, you know, that's uh, I, I like watching documentaries about yeah. Scientology. That's one of the things you have to do is like if they don't follow Scientology, you have to cut them off. They become a suppressive person and you can't interact with them. That's not what Jesus. Is yeah, doing. that's some Jim yeah. Jones stuff there. <laughs> I actually find it interesting, um, similar to that point, of like in the Catholic faith, and I'm not super well versed, but I know, you know, Mary, mother of Jesus, is a huge figure. And uh, I, you know, I wonder how interesting it must be to see Jesus speaking about his mother in this way when I think in our time she's revered in many ways um, and can be looked upon in certain ways. And so I, when I read that today, I was like, wow, how shocking that might be if you revere her close to Jesus or on equal playing field. Yeah. Yeah. Just a random ad. (laughs) No. And I think, and I think Mark's point again, remember we've talked about Mark is challenging the church. And I think he's looking and saying, if, if Jesus even challenged Mary to understand who he is and what he's doing in the world, then do you think he's not going to challenge us? Do you, do you think we mm-hmm. we don't have to deal with some of these things? The redefining of family. Well, what is he redefining it around? He says very broadly here, whoever does God's will, he's going to, Mark is now going to bring that to a little more of a point starting in Mark 4. And really from Mark 4 to Mark 10 is really, he, he's kind of setting up here with this passage here. People are opposing him. Jesus' family is opposing him. The teachers of law are opposing him. They don't understand who he is. They are outsiders. And so Mark is going to start from 4 to 10 and say, now let me show you what it looks like to follow him, to make sure that you're an insider uh, in the kingdom of God. And we mean that in the positive way. You know, insider-outsider language can be very negative and toxic. But in this sense, it's it's the positive sense of knowing that you're following Jesus. So let's, let's move on to take a selfie where we consider, how, you know, some of the areas where we're different or some of the things that we might miss or misunderstand. 
And I, I do want to just take a minute here and drill down on this. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? Uh, question. Because, Jason, have you ever had anybody ask you that? I know I certainly have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a great deal of anxiety ar- around this this uh, this verse. Um, and, you know, it's it's parallel. Uh, yeah. Uh, passages. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's frightening. I mean, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it definitely, it stands out. Um, and if we're going to talk about God being able to forgive sin, um, that's reassuring, but, but there's one he can't. So <laughs> that's, that's, uh, unsettling. <laughs> well, and we're not going to do justice. I, you know, I feel like we just introduce a lot of these topics and we mentioned some thoughts without, you know, able to go into each one of them in detail. If we did, we could spend five years on the Gospel of Mark, honestly. For sure. Uh, don't, don't you think? For sure. Five years My easy. Of, yeah. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Um, and this is the shortest Gospel. But I'll, I'll say this. In this passage, this is not something that the Pharisees fell into accidentally. This wasn't like, a, oh, they were kind of wild in their younger days. And, um, you know, you can't just fill in the blank. Uh, are there certain sins? And and John in 1 John 5 talks about the unforgivable sin. This is a very specific moment Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the cosmic invasion of the Messiah, which they were looking at and interpreting as the work of Satan. So if if God is becoming king, and invading the present realm, and you say that is Satan, you're blaspheming the spirit in a way that you're painting yourself into a corner, and there's no coming back from that. There's there's no other path to salvation. I don't think it's even saying that there's a certain thing people could say or do that God will never forgive. It's just saying once you sell down that road, um, there, there is no other repentance, as the writer of Hebrews would say. There's no other path that leads to God. This, this is it. So if you, you know, if I ask you what is two plus two, and you say, "Well, I know it's not four," <laughs> there's no way you're getting the right answer. That then. is the <laughs> best analogy I've never heard. That holy cow. I know it's not four. Yeah, that is great. Whatever else it might be. Yeah, that is perfect, is dude. Oh my goodness. That has never occurred to me. That yeah. Yeah, right. So okay, is is the sin the the inability to forgive based on God's being offended? Or is it like you're yeah, you said you paint yourself into a corner, you cut off the very channel by which forgiveness would flow to you, you've decided already forgiveness can't flow that way. So it, it, exactly. it would ne- never have an impact on your life. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we see the same thing in first John five, there was an intentional act of denying Jesus and saying, yeah. Jesus is not this. And then trying to convince others that this is the way that's the blaspheming part. Yeah. I'm going to try to convince others that this is not the way of God. So, the, this specific act would be would be difficult, uh, the blasphemy of the Spirit, because I think it's specific to the situation of Jesus coming and looking at his work and saying, this is the work of Satan. Yeah, yeah, this is not like someone saying whatever, GD, uh, you know, or, or swearing or... Uh, or sexual some, sin, yeah, or yeah. I've had people come to me and say, hey, when I was younger... I had an abortion. Is that an unforgivable sin? Yeah. This is nothing of the kind. Like that, that's simply not in the, the realm of what Jesus is talking about. Uh, we don't need to have that sort of fear and angst. So that's, um, we could say a lot more about that, but I did just want to mention that briefly. Let, let's jump to our last step. The kingdom come, how do we apply this? Um, And let me say two things here really quickly, and then I want to hear your guys' final thoughts and application. One is, you know, I I read a couple sources from the early church. 
uh, well, one source from the early church, Justin Martyr, and then Lucian, who's a Roman writer. I love those sources. I think they can be helpful, but they're not scripture. We can look at the early church and say, okay, this is a picture of how they were living it out and how they understood things. But they're certainly not perfect. The early church made mistakes. They they did things that we can see. Um, by the second century, they're pretty anti-Semitic in some ways. They were pretty anti-Jewish um, in a way that doesn't seem to match up with the gospel, at least some of them, some of the things that they were writing. Um and they, you know, they they did some really great things and they go off course in some ways. And so I just want to highlight that with sources like that, let's never become undiscerning about non-biblical sources. I see some people, you know, looking at Old Testament passages and reading uh, Mishnah and rabbinic writings and things like that as though this now enlightens us as to what this source said. When those are no more helpful than commentaries would be, a, a modern commentary, it can be an interesting thought, helpful, um, you know, help us understand a little bit of how people of the ancient time understood or, or lived out some of these things, but they're not scripture and we've got to be discerning there. Right. Um, and, you know, I wanted to say some more about how we pull out the principle and apply it, but I think I will, I think we'll save that for another episode and, and not get into that a little bit. But I do want to, in coming episodes, I think we should dig down a little more specifically and, and some good practices to pull out um, application. I think to this point, we've kind of left it open. Um, but there, there are some steps there that we want to start expanding on. Uh, we're not doing everything at once. We're kind of building on this as we go. So I, I'll leave it at that and just say, Jason, Gianna, you know, what do you see in this passage? How, how, how do we apply this as an alternative people? What does this mean for us? Anything beyond what we've already said? Um, <clears throat> let me, I just want to. In answering that, I want to respond to just the last two things you said. Number one, I think, you know, the value of these um, ancient readers is, you know, there's a history of interpretation that helps us make make sense of these things. And it's, I love like you, how you said, like, uh, how people have responded to um, to scripture, to, to what we're reading. Um because it can open up whole new vistas for what's possible in terms of how it uh, matters for you. The other thing is, I love. I also love um, that we're not, um, like you said, putting a bow on on this as some kind of package that we're just hand delivering to people's doorstep, saying, "Here you go, take two, and call me in the morning." It's not. Uh, the Bible isn't necessarily about. <laughs> This is going to come out wrong, or no, it's not going to come out wrong. It's going to be heard wrong, but I'll say it anyways. The Bible isn't really about application or being applied. It's not like it exists to uh, apply itself to our lives or to, to make our lives better. But reading scripture is always, in my opinion, a matter of responding to what we read. How are we going to respond? Um, we have to do business with what Scripture says more than Scripture adding some new feature or dimension to our lives, and so I feel like um, I feel like some of that work um, is left for anyone who who hears. Now I already know I know plenty of preachers, self included, who will say, "Yeah, that's just an easy way to get yourself off the hook. You're not telling anyone what to do, and people need to be told what to do." I get all that, but at the end of the day, we also still have to come back to deciding what we're going to do with what we read. Um, so if you're not reading along, the podcast won't do the job for you, uh, I suppose, is, is my thinking there. Um, yeah. On the whole, let me just try to summarize so, some of the things I got out of what you said that helped me think about how to respond. Um, the like, I, I was stuck. We didn't spend any time, but I was, I was kind of hung up by the first couple of, verses we read, um, where it talks about the, um, the scribes coming down from Jerusalem. <laughs> like, 
coming coming to Galilee to confront Jesus and call him a demon. <laughs> and like right. not not just like not just a demon, but you know, the the higher ups in the demon world, you know, like in the demon right. army. Um but they travel far and wide, like sent from the capital city to this backwater town to basically just tell him they think he's not from God. They went and, out of their way. Yeah, way. Out. I mean, it's I mean, it's like there's this whole plan being developed about how to deal with Jesus and mm. um, and his 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 own family is. You know, the, their vision is obscured. The disciples' vision is obscured. And it brings me back to what we've talked about. I don't know if it's come up recently, but we've talked about like this this openness or this expectancy um, that as we're listening to, to Scripture, as we're listening to Jesus, like there are things that it's logical for you to backpedal. Like you come to Jesus and he says something like he says in Luke nine, Gianna was kind of hinting at it. Like, uh, you know, he who doesn't hate his father and mother, you know, whatever you, you can't follow me. You hate, hate your brother, your sister, <laughs> like everyone you love, you got to hate them if you want to follow me. And that's, it's a logical move to say, oh, okay, I've heard enough and, and back away. Um, and it's also understandable to misunderstand that and say, wait, wait, wait a second. You must be speaking in some kind of allegory or something or some kind of cryptic speech. But then there's those who just wait and they listen and they wrestle. And and I think um, I think that's what Mark's getting at. He's showing like, look, this can blind scribes. And scribes, you know, they're like, they're, they are the Bible scholars uh, of, you know, from Jerusalem. They're, they they right. live where where the Israel's God is worshipped, where the sacrifices uh, are supposed to uh, come from, where the texts are housed, where the Torah lives. <laughs> you know, it's the capital of God's uh, God's kingdom, I guess. And and they can be blinded. People who grew up with Jesus, like his own family, can have a hard time making sense of it. And I think Mark's overall point is like. It'd be really easy to dismiss Jesus. It'd be mm, super mm. duper easy. And it'd be super duper easy to relativize some of the more challenging things he says. Um, because he calls us on the carpet on all of our, you know, garbage, all of our apostasy and rebellion. And it's really easy in those moments to pretend like we didn't hear him, to to uh lessen the blow. Uh, of his words rather than to just take them as they sit. And I think that's it's what Mark's so hunting for. I think that's what he's after. I think that's what he's after with the parables. He's trying to get people not to say, here, take, you know, take two of these, go do this and that. But he's saying, I want you to, to, to not fight. Just listen. Um, yeah. Listen, open yourself up to the new possibilities. And it makes sense why it, it's, you mentioned Luke, Luke's version of the unforgivable sin, it comes after this exact same story in Luke 11. It's the same. Mm. It makes sense that it would yep. show up there because the moment we begin forming these opinions and close ourselves down to the Lord or um, or don't do the hard work of leaning in, we could find ourselves writing him off. And there you go. What's mm. left for you? <laughs> you know, right, if, right. yeah, it's like you said, two plus two certainly doesn't equal four. Like <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. Like you, you, you kind of, there's no other options. And so, so I find this a challenge. It makes me want to read the Bible more openly and just yeah. be honest about the, 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 there's a lot in the Bible that offends me. I'll just be honest. When I'm reading it like a piece of literature or like some text for sermons, which I'm really tempted to do as a preacher, it's it's not that hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah. But when I read it for Jason and I read it as Jason in all of my brokenness, it's tough. Um, so anyways. Wow, that's so good. Jason, are you one question, are you implying that just because people know the scriptures really well or are in positions of power, yeah. they might yeah. not have a corner on what yeah, Jesus yeah. is doing? Or well, like, maybe maybe you could make the case that the more you know, the less you know in terms of the <laughs> terms of the gospel, 
they're not really trying too hard to advocate. They're not a, they're not a, uh, a, a what do you call it? They're not a, um, they're yeah. not an advertisement for going to seminary. <laughs> if anything, right. and we're not, and what, we're not aiming this at anyone. We're not like anti-leaders. Totally we're not, I yeah, totally it's just, it's just that extra warning of like, yeah, you know, they're the most susceptible. Gotta, yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Yeah. G, bring us home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys said a ton, obviously I'm just learning a lot today. Um, and I, I feel like we're at that point. What we're saying is like, if you're not challenged by the word still, if there's not challenging things in there, then are we missing some stuff from Jesus himself that he's, he's yeah. trying to put out for us. Um, and I remember that as I began to study, like feeling really challenged and lately I felt a little less challenged. Um, so maybe that, that I should take a step and think about things. Um, but you know, I just appreciate that we have the text like this, that we can read the Bible in this manner, um, uh, to like revisit situations and really think about them deeper. So I don't have much coming. I just, I really appreciate what you guys pointed out. It'll take me some time to rethink this passage. Um, but I, I think overall, I'm just still astonished by how bold Jesus was. Like that's my favorite yeah. thing about him. And I feel like sometimes I can be that way um, and feel bad about it, but it's knowing, I think the right balance and yeah. what was Jesus focused on when he was bold, when he was making heavy statements um, so yeah, it's very secure, you. man. That's for sure. I wish I could have even an ounce of the security. I just spoke and he, he didn't, uh, he didn't worry. It seems anyway. So I, I'm with you. Awesome. Well, our next episode, we're going to pick up in Mark four and we have a really special guest that I'm very excited about. I'll leave it at that. No you doubt. Join us next time and find out who it is. All right. If you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love if you would like it, comment, subscribe, or even leave us a review. You can also send us a note to iconpodcast at gmail.com, E-I-K-O-N podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to reach us directly. And we have to give a shout out to our producer, Derek Schneider, for helping us out with the show. Couldn't do it without him. Guys, it's been a good one. We'll do it next time.